Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. My guest today is Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing Company, brewmaster, COO, and co-founder, and also supply chain subcommittee chair for the Brewers Association. So Mitch and I talk all things supply chain as it affects the beer industry and brewers in particular. So we'll talk about best practices on getting contracted materials, whether that's hops, malt, CO2, cans, you name it. And we'll also talk about mitigation strategies. You know, we know the supply chain issues are here. Uh, We know some things are within our control and many things are not. So Mitch shares his ideas, really mitigation strategies on what brewers can do to deal with the supply chain issues we're faced with today and into the future. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing. All right, Mitch, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Kerry. Good to be here. So today we're going to talk about the supply chain, right? So let's start with some basic definitions. I know we all hear the words supply chain, but what, what is? how do you define a supply chain and who are the people that are in this chain exactly? So <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a huge question, but I mean, from the brewing standpoint, supply chain is uh, uh, from the output side of things, getting your beer out to your customers um, in whatever form and whatever quantity they need. Um, and then supply chain also is very heavily involved in all the incoming material that you need to make your beer. So, you know, your packaging material, your cans, your bottles, your malt, your hops, your yeast, um, anything that anybody has to bring into the brewery in order to make the beer is, is part of the supply chain. That's how we look at it. So it's a, it's a pretty big deal and it affects pretty much every aspect of uh, your operation then. Yeah, it's critical. And, and it's, it's also very thankless, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, when you can't deliver the beer that people have asked for, uh, that's always a very tough thing. And, and it's very hard. I think the people in my experience, the people in supply chain jobs and breweries um, are fielding things from every single department, you know, and um, it's, it's not just planning but it's also invoicing and, you know, everything that goes along with running a business. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it used, it used to be that you ordered something and it would show up and you really you were focused on negotiating the best price and quantity yep. discounts. And now it's like uh, you don't know where the next shortage is going to come from and what's going to happen with lead times. And it's become, you know, we really put a premium on it, right, in terms of managing the supply chain. Yes, it, it really has gotten tremendously more difficult in the past couple of years. So you, you start, if my dates are correct, in March of 2019, you were uh, named the supply chain subcommittee chair for the Brewers Association. Is that correct or thereabouts? Yeah, three years ago. Yes. Okay. Hey, give us a little background on that. What's the story? How did that come about? And you know, what does your role entail? Well, the, um, 
the supply chain subcommittee is part of the technical committee at the Brewers Association, and there's several different subcommittees. And um, this was called, this group was called the Pipeline Group or something like that originally, and it was led by Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada. And that group was rolling along for many, many years, and, and Ken uh, let Chuck and Chris at the BA know that he was looking at stepping back. And I was at a hop conference in Monterey, California, and Chris Swarzy asked me if I'd be interested in, in taking over the, the chair of the supply chain. So I thought about it and I, you know, I went through a couple of, you know, they actually did this pretty officially. I went through a couple of interviews and I was able to ask questions and, um, you know, kind of get a feel for what they were looking for out of this. And, um, I decided to do it and, uh, I've been doing it for three years. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the other members of the supply chain subcommittee is Jeremy Monier, who I worked with for years at Stone Brewing Company. And I really enjoy working with Jeremy. And when things got so crazy for me in the past year and I couldn't give it all the attention I thought it deserved, uh, we appointed Jeremy as co-chair. So uh, he and I are leading that subcommittee now. And it's it's been a pretty rewarding and challenging thing to be part of. Mm, excellent. So things are really different back then when you started um you know, pre-COVID and so forth. So over the last two years, you know, how has your role changed in that regard relative to supply chain? In the, in the subcommittee? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, we did a very quick pivot. Uh, we had been working on some uh, best practice documents for the membership of the BA, you know, things like, you know, how to do hop selection and how to contract hops and, you know, what kind of water analysis should you be looking at and how do you make sure your incoming water is, is suitable for brewing and, and, you know, a lot of more technical kind of documents and best practice documents. And when COVID hit and, you know, right about when COVID hit, cans became a huge issue because all the breweries that were had to close their tap rooms were putting a lot more beer into cans and there was already a shortage and and so it hit you know basically crisis level management and so in our group we decided to focus on the ongoing supply chain issues that um um you know, the, the things that the membership needed to know about and how to react to it and how to deal with it and how to plan for it. And so we really started tracking what was going on with supply chain issues in various aspects of the brewing industry and understanding what was causing the shortages, what brewers could do. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because most of the brewers that are members of the Brewers Association brew somewhere between 500 and 1,000 barrels a year. They're small. They're, you know, two, one, two, three person operations. They're not companies that have supply chain people and have, you know, managers all over the place. And, and so it was really hard for them to navigate. And, you know, we just thought we could serve a better, better use during these trying times just to, to, to be a resource for dealing with these issues. Absolutely. Yeah, I went from really trying to optimize to just simply getting the materials <laughs> you need to stay yeah. in business overnight. Um, 
Hey, I want to read a quote from you, and you can tell me if this is misattributed or not. But uh, and so I'll read this to you, and maybe you can give us some background. So the quote is this: that I believe, and this is you. I believe that having a thorough understanding and engagement with our ingredient and material supply chain are critical elements to becoming the best possible brewers. Could you expand a little on that? Like, particularly, what is the engagement piece? So engagement with our ingredients. What's your personal or, or business philosophy around that? Yeah, I think, number one, you have to have a relationship with your suppliers so that when things don't go right, you're talking to each other. I think that's really, really the key. And one of the things that that we started doing um, at New Realm uh when, when all of this started happening was we started scheduling ready, regular meetings with our can supplier, for example, and our packaging supplier. And, you know, um, when we're contract brewing, we have regular meetings with those, those brewers as well. And, you know, keeping that communication line open and being able to tell them where you see pinch points and having them volunteer to you where they see pinch points really helps with planning. And that's, that was the goal was just to get get the suppliers to understand what we were looking for and when we were looking for it and then they could come back and say and tell us if they saw any risks to that plan so it was you know giving them more formal projections than what we had in the past and and you know usage requirements and and letting them know when things were trending differently than what we originally said so um, and I think, you know, it's especially important for brewers um, who are contracting hops, because who knows what the heck brand your brands are going to do these days. You know, you can't count on five, five core brands to, be, to elevate and be the bulk of what you brew. It's, um, and so a, a lot of brewers are sitting on hop surpluses and having, you know, a regular contact with your rep from the hop supplier and just talking through that kind of stuff gives you a heck of a lot more options than not having those discussions. They're actually, I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised uh, at how willing they've, they've been. And we use, we use five or six different suppliers, uh, how willing they've been to, to restructure contracts or, or push things out or things like that. And um, you know, that's never going to happen if you're not talking to them frequently. Mm, yeah, it's a great point. You know, sometimes we overlook those those fundamentals. You know, the, we're all humans, human beings working together. If we got to have a relationship, yeah. understand each other's needs, and then try to work it through. So that's yeah, that's a great reminder. And I think even going forward, you know, because we're still having issues, right? But it's it's oh, not yeah. as profound perhaps as it was in in some respects. But those fundamentals are still things to keep in mind going forward. You know, we'll get, it'll get better. It will figure itself out. And then, you know what, something else is going to happen, whether it's one, three, five years down the road. So, yeah, that's certainly what we've seen the last two years. There've been a lot of unexpected, you know, kind of domino effects of, of what's happened because of, of the lockdowns and things like that and how it's affected peripherally the brewing industry. It, it's, it was a real learning experience for us. Absolutely. When you were digging into kind of the causes of those supply chain issues. Um, wh- what did you learn then and what has resolved itself? If, if, if you can break it down that way. In other words, like what, what, are the, what are the lingering issues that you see right now that are still impacting us? Well, I think um, I'll get to cans in a minute, but I think the first one I, I was, I'll mention is 
CO2 supply. And this is one of those ones where, you know, nobody who's a, a small brewer really thinks about where their CO2 comes from. They just work with a supplier and order a truck when they need it or order cylinders when they need them. Uh, but we, we learned through this whole process and, and the fact that breweries were getting put into force majeure situations where they weren't going to get what they had contracted and, and breweries were running short of CO2. We learned that the CO2 that is used in the beverage industry, a lot of it comes from the fuel industry and it comes from ethanol fermentations and it's also a byproduct of oil refining. refining. And so when, you know, in, in March and April of 2020, when nobody was driving at all and the roads were empty, the ethanol plants were full of ethanol for fuel and weren't fermenting anymore and the refineries were shutting down and that really had a serious impact on on beverage grade co2 which you know i never knew that I, that was a surprise to me as far as how much of the supply comes from those two industries and um you know and, and the other consequence of that with the ethanol plants is if uh, uh distillers are buying bulk alcohol it it is done it's made in those same plants that do fuel ethanol and um you know they they were log jammed because they had full tanks of fuel ethanol that they couldn't move and uh you know the whole thing was was really fascinating and and there's still some lingering co2 supply issues out there um, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, some of the refineries never started back up again, and it's very regional with CO2. Um, but that's, that's one uh, that is still lingering on to some effect. And, you know, with the consequence of this is that there are companies that are building affordable CO2 recovery systems for breweries. And, and that's never been affordable before. I remember we tried to generate an ROI on a CO2 recovery system at Stone and we went through the process and through the math and realized that we probably had to be brewing five or 600,000 barrels a year to really justify it versus paying for somebody else for CO2. But now with shortages, it's, it's a bit different. Mm. Um, so that's one. <laughs> that's a big one. What? So I guess let me dig in on that a little bit. What What makes it affordable? Is that you just simply are going to run out of CO2 so you don't have a choice, you got to recapture? Or has the process or the equipment you know, gotten more affordable itself? So there are smaller um, units that, that do this work. They're probably, I, and I haven't looked into them too much, but, you know, instead of paying 500000 to a million dollars, you can get you know, get them for, you know, low 100s, somewhere in that range. Um, they're smaller, a uh, little bit less capacity. They may not have all the bells and whistles that the big companies building, you know, building CO2 recovery systems have. But if you can get pure CO2 off of them, great. You know, then you're, you've, you've got an alternative to, um, you know, buying CO2 in a shortage situation. The other thing that brewers were doing that we learned was a lot of brewers were using nitrogen instead of CO2 in a lot of their purging processes, which for, uh, you know, like um, blanketing over can uh, uh, before the lid gets put on, you know, and, and that kind of thing, or, or pushing lines out with nitrogen instead of CO2 or doing a combination CO2 nitrogen purge on a bright tank. All of that stuff, I've, I learned that, that brewers were doing to try and 
get through this shortage. Mm, interesting. So what do you see like in the next six to 12 months? And we can stay with CO2 or we can expand it to other, you know, packaging or production ingredients. What do you see in the next six to 12 months relative to these supply chain issues? Is it just too hard to tell or do you see things easing or are we going to see something else pop up that's a problem? Um, I think there are going to be more things popping up, definitely. I think CO2 is going to kind of stabilize. I don't know if it's going to get better, but it's, it's, it's probably not going to get worse because, you know, people are out driving again and, and trucks are driving and making deliveries and things like that. So there's, there's fuel consumption going on. Um, you know, now with the rising price of fuel, though, people may be driving less. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all, all fits together. Um, I think cans are going to be a long-term issue, can supply. And this is something that we looked at really hard uh, in the supply chain subcommittee. And, and what we were seeing was a lot of breweries were going to alternative suppliers. They were going to, to Asia and, and to Latin America and, and, and places that they hadn't normally had to buy cans from before. And we started learning about and putting a lot of work into learning about can liner material and what different suppliers were using. And it's not very well understood. Uh, it's not something that can suppliers or manufacturers tend to share willingly. And you never know, you know, if you're buying cans from China, they may have a different liner than the cans you're buying from Mexico. And they, that may be different than the cans you're buying from the United States. So trying to understand that and the potential impacts on beer, especially as people, uh, brewers are making more kettle sours, they're making more beers with yeast in them, all of which, uh, you know, those two things really contribute to liner issues in cans where the liners degrade after the product's been put in it. And, you know, it, it depends on the liner, um, you know, whether it's going to be an issue or not, or how severe the issue is going to be if you have one. But, you know, I, nobody looked at liners when they were buying cans, except for the really big brewers, right? Nobody even thought about it. You just bought cans and you filled them and you went on your way. And I think, so I think that's going to be a continuing issue. Um, you know, the supply chain of cans is going to be huge, you know, Ball, Ball Corporation, indicated they weren't going to supply brewers who are ordering less than five full truckloads at a time and, and things like that, which shuts out 90% of the brewing in the, in this country, you know, or brewers in this country. So um, I don't think that's going to ease up in, in as long as um, there, you know, there are seltzers and, and other non-beer beverages going into cans uh, I think it's going to be really, really tight for a few years until capacity catches up. And I know new plants are being built and, and things like that, but it's, it's takes a while, right. You know, to build a, a can manufacturing plant, that's got to take two or three years. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that one's going to be hanging around for a long time. And, and, you know, the way we looked at it in the supply chain subcommittee is just trying to make sure that brewers had resources to understand what they should be looking at. You know, if they have to go to, if they can't get an American can, they have to go international for their can supply. What should they be looking at? How should they be testing their beer? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be a long-term thing. Um, you know, the one that's really cropped up recently 
in the past six months or so is malt, barley malt. And, you know, the, we've got a few things working against the supply chain with malt right now. Uh, one of them is, is just the uh, horrendous crop that they had in 2021 because of the extreme drought in the American barley growing areas. And, and brewers have been able to work around that a little bit because there, there is a growing number of maltsters that are making, uh, you know, growing winter barley and making malt in the, in the mid-Atlantic and Colorado and places that weren't as heavily impacted uh, by the weather. And then Europe as well, and the Europe crop was good. Uh, but now, I mean, that's still kind of out there as a, as a pretty severe issue. And, and most brewers, their prices went up, you know, 15, 20% on malt. And it's brutal, right? And, and, you know, you don't plan for that. You don't budget for a 20% increase on your bulk malt, but that's, that's what it turned into. And, you know, I, I was looking at, at contracts with maltsters I hadn't used in a few years and none of them were taking new customers and, you know, and it's, it's just really tight. But now what's happening is we've got a war going on in Ukraine and Russian barley and Ukrainian barley are like number three and four producers in the world of barley malting barley and used primarily by by breweries in those areas but you know what's that going to do to the world supply of malt you know it's it's a big uncertainty and we just don't know the hits just keep coming don't they all these right up in every corner of the world yeah it's like every time we turn around it's like oh here's a new thing we've got to start talking about you know <laughs> how do you how would you advise people or maybe you're thinking about this as is your role on the BA and certainly within your breweries is to kind of how to mitigate these risks. I know some of them are kind of global in nature. How do you think about that? Or do you kind of approach it in, in a myriad of ways to try to look at, all right, if it's CO2, we could do X, Y, or Z. I guess what I'm asking is, is mitigation and maybe contingency planning. How do you think about that? So I think, I think the one that applies to all of them is conservation and efficiencies and working on that. And I know a lot of people have been working on those kind of things. Um, and I think that applies to every shortage that, that we're dealing with. You know, how do you reduce, if you're talking cans, how do you reduce can loss and can damage? And, and how do you make sure you're not over ordering a can that you're no longer going to need if it's a printed can with a label on it? And how do you deal with those kind of things? Um, you know, in the brewery, how do you get more out of, out of a pound of malt? You know, how much, how do you get a little bit more word off of it or a little bit more beer in the finished product? Um, with CO2, how do you, how can you, you know, there's a million different practices for purging bright tanks, right? And some of them are incredibly wasteful and because they've never had to worry about it before, right? And, and so now it's like, okay, how do we do this and not use X number of pounds of, of CO2, mm. uh, you know, so, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I think, I think conservation and working on efficiencies and finding ways to, uh, reuse things that would normally be waste products, be they, you know, cans that were mislabeled or, um, you know, things like that, you know, trying to find a way to, put them to use and, and, you know, re recovering CO2 from fermentations and, and all of that. I think that's probably the one overriding piece that, 
I think most breweries should be looking at. And, and, you know, breweries have never had to, you know, small breweries, uh, not big breweries, because big breweries are all over this, but small breweries typically never have to worry too much about efficiencies. Right. And, and now they better start thinking about it. Mm, that's a great point. You know, it brings to mind this, uh, the concept of the six Sigma, you know, mm-hmm. process improvement and, you know, really kind of going in and looking at what is your process, right? Let's kind of follow, you know, the yeah. process, document it. Let's maybe bring in some people that can kind of help improve inefficiencies. But that's certainly well within the control. It takes time and effort and probably a little yep. bit of money. But yeah, I like that. I hadn't really thought about that is, you know, it brings conservation back to the forefront as well. Because before it was like, well, we want to do what's good for our community, for the planet, et cetera. Well, that, now it's sort of out of necessity too, right? Right, right. It's it's both. Yeah. yeah, that's what happens. So let's talk about contracts. Um, so you've mentioned mentioned that relative to cans um, and malt and so forth. What items kind of lend themselves to being contract? We always talk about hop contracts, but right. You no, know, what are you what are you recommending these days, or what are you seeing? What what items are better contracted uh, or or better left? kind of on a uh, uncontracted basis? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, hop contracting is important, but you know, we've talked about that. I, um, I think if you're relying on the spot market to get your hops, you're, you know, it's, it's just risky. Um, I don't think there's a huge shortage of hops. There's, in fact, there's a surplus now. Uh, just of available hops. It just may not be the variety that everybody's looking for, right? If you're looking for Galaxy from Australia, uh, there's not a surplus of Galaxy from Australia. You got to find something else if you don't have it contracted. Um, So it kind of depends on how important your recipes are to you. And different breweries have different philosophies around that. Um, One of the, the, the ones that that we're working on in the in the BA uh, supply chain subcommittee right now is malt contracting because most small breweries just buy their malt from a, a supplier and they buy it when they need it and they put in an order and it shows up. Well, you know, now there are supply chain issues getting malt over from Europe that you want to use. The prices are going way up. Um, and, you know, it's it's not as much of a sure thing as it's been historically when you place an order that you're going to get it in time to make your beer. And I think that's something that, that is really going to be important for people. And, and uh, especially, you know, specialty malt, nobody thinks about contracting specialty malt, right? That's always been just kind of a spot purchase and, you know, I need some crystal malt or I need some Munich malt or whatever. Um, and a lot of breweries contract bulk malt, but now we're starting to see that there's some value into contracting some specialty malt as well. Um, and then looking at alternative um, suppliers, you know, for those things and see if they'll work in your beer. You know, if you have to get your Munich malt from a different supplier than you've normally been doing it, how is it going to change your beer if at all? But, but I think, um, I think malt contracting is becoming much more important. Um, CO2 contracting, I'm on the fence about, I'm not sure. I think it's very regional. If you're in a place that is dealing with shortages, which I know that Northern California, uh, mid Atlantic and and new England are the ones, the areas that seem to be having the most consistent issues with CO2 supply. 
then contracting is is probably a really good idea. Um, you got to look at the language, though, to make sure that you're you've got a commitment. If there's an act of God or a force majeure situation, um, you know, and understand what the what the ramifications are if if the CO2 supplier decides to implement something like that. Um, you know, we were put on rationing in Virginia for a little while, um, which you know, got us to talking about conservation and maybe using an alternative gas. But, um, you know, some of these breweries in, in the regions I mentioned are really struggling with it. And, um, you know, you just can't, you can't buy CO2 without a contract in some of those areas. Interesting. Okay. So contracts, hops is a definite yes. Malt, yeah. specialty, CO2 is a maybe, cans. Cans, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and you know, again, that's that's one where historically brewers have been just been able to call up a supplier and say, "I need, you know, ten pallets of cans or whatever," and um, now they may not be there, and and so, and also you can't contract with Ball directly unless you're a huge supplier at this point, and they're the largest can manufacturer in the United States, so you're really limited to your options, and. So it makes sense to have some sort of written commitment from the supplier uh, between the supplier and the brewer about how many cans you're going to want for the year. And this is where, you know, and in, in, I think can supply is the one that's the most volatile as far as usage requirements. You, you never know what you're going to need. You, you have an idea. But this is the one where I think having regular conversations with your supplier about how things are trending up or down. Um, you know, how things are looking from the supply side, I think is really important. Mm, absolutely. So we're all becoming supply chain experts to one right. degree or another. <laughs> right. I, guess, uh, I guess there's that. So what resources uh, would you point people to for maybe for the Brewers Association relative to supply chain? If people want to dig in and learn a little bit more about this and how it might impact their brewery. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot on the on the BA side about this. Um, you know, if you're a member and you can log in, uh, you can go to the supply chain subcommittee and get a list of documents that we've published. Uh, we started putting out a, um, I think we've moved to every other month, an update on supply chain issues with a whole bunch of links that gets emailed out to all the membership as well as posted on the website. And, you know, that's, that's, I think been pretty valuable. I mean, we felt like we were doing a pretty good thing, putting that together and saying, you know, saying things like, Hey, you know, we just learned that this metal manufacturing facility, uh, stainless manufacturing facility in the Ukraine got bombed and is destroyed. Here's what this means for brewers, you know, and, and if you're buying your equipment from Germany, they may be struggling with getting stainless steel and, you know, those kind of things. And, and we try to keep people updated on that. And I think uh, those go out to the BA membership and an email. And then also uh, the documents that we are consistently working on are getting posted on the, on the BA site. If you go to the resource hub, you can find it. Okay. We'll link over to that. People can check it out. Mitch, this is great stuff. As always, I really appreciate your time sharing this information with others. Um, if folks want to learn more about New Realm or get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, yeah, I think um, probably the best way is to just send me an email. Um, I, you know, I, I do try to respond to emails that 
are, you know, something like this, you know, where somebody asks for some help or some advice or is curious about something. Um, I think that's probably the best way. It's msteel at newrealmbrewing.com. Um, and uh, I tend not to pick up the phone when it's somebody calling from that I don't recognize the number. I, th- I know a lot of people are doing that now, yeah. uh, but emails are different, you know, and um, if somebody sends me an email and they work with a brewery and want to chat about something, I'm happy to engage. That's great stuff. Mitch, thanks so much for the time. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.